Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we're very thankful to have you tuned in. If you happen to live in the North Mississippi area, we would certainly invite you to come and worship with us. I'm the pastor at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi, and we share time on this program with Elder Joe Nettles, who's the pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, and We both meet on Sunday mornings, every Lord's Day, beginning at 10.30 a.m., and we'd certainly love to meet you in person and for you to come out and worship with us. We also have a joint meeting in Starkville, Mississippi, at the New Covenant Church on West Garrett Road, Wednesday nights at 6 p.m., and I'd also encourage you to go to Facebook, like Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church on Facebook, and also like Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church on Facebook. As you can see, as we go live on Wednesday nights on Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church page, and also they do Facebook live streams for Sulphur Springs on Sunday mornings as well. Go to the website for this program, gospel-of-grace.com, and you can find all of our past content and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. And also you can go to our website at Macedonia, macedonia macedonia-pbc.org, and we have a lot of sermons and content on there that we certainly hope will be beneficial for you. If you listen, please email us. We would love to know that you're out there and also love to know through what medium you listen to this program as well. That's very beneficial for us as we make decisions about programming. So we would love to hear from you and please contact us. Please email us if you listen and enjoy the program or if you have any questions. If there's anything we can help you out with, please let us know. This morning we'd like to continue our series on spiritual warfare particularly considering the enemies of the church. And this morning we would like to focus on the beast, which is a presentation of worldwide kingdoms that have been antagonistic toward God's people and toward the church. So we hope that this message will be beneficial for you. We certainly invite you to stay tuned for the message right after this hymn. Hello, 
and good morning again. Thank you for staying tuned to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. We're very thankful to have you here with us. This is Elder David Wise, and during my time on the program, we've been trying to go through a series on spiritual warfare and making sure that we are properly equipped to battle our enemies that are trying to detract us from faithful discipleship each day. And we've been trying to go through somewhat of a scouting report of the enemies of the church. We've looked at the devil. We've looked at the devil's unclean spirits. And there's quite a few other characters that Satan has used and does use over the years to try to afflict God's people. And we'd like to focus this morning on the figurative picture of one of those enemies of the church, which is the beast from Revelation. Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 17, that is a figurative depiction of worldwide wicked governments that are persecuting and antagonistic toward God's people. So as we make our way over there, we'd like to return to Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 12 to begin. We've tried to remind you throughout this series that our enemy is not solely the person that is persecuting us, not solely the flesh and blood person that is performing actions because there is a broader spiritual battle that's going on. Satan and his kingdom of darkness is waging war against the kingdom of God, and we are caught in the middle of that. And we find here in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what we find here is there are people in positions of authority here in this world. They are people that have power, that are in positions of rule, a local magistrate, to use American terms, the mayor of a city or the board of aldermen of a city or board of supervisors of a county, the governor of a state, the Senate and the House of Representatives that make up Congress in America, the president, the vice president. These are very high political offices that men that desire power, that desire to control others and carry out many other wicked designs, they gravitate to those kinds of positions of power. And certainly history would indicate that. But when we see men carrying out these wicked actions, we understand that we wrestle not solely against flesh and blood, but against Satan, against the kingdom of darkness and against these principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. So we know a lot about Nero in the New Testament, right? Nero was one of the more prominent Caesars during the early church, and Nero was persecuting the church. And Nero was one of those rulers in a high place, spiritual wickedness, principalities and powers. He was a ruler that had authority, and he was using that to persecute the church. And I want you to understand, yes, Nero was a bad man, and he may have been regenerated on his bed, and the Lord may have took him to heaven, but there's not much evidence of that. So most likely, Nero is burning in hell today, okay? But Nero was not the sole person behind that. Who was behind that? Satan was, okay? And what we're going to see from this presentation of the beast is, yes, this figurative picture of worldwide government that Satan uses 
but it's the dragon, it's the serpent, it's the devil that gives these worldwide kingdoms their power and their authority. We've seen that in Revelation 2 and 3. We've highlighted that in quite a few different messages, that the devil would cast them into prison. Well, how would the devil cast those Christians in the church at Smyrna into prison? He did it through authorities. He did it through principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we see quite a few other references there in the book of Revelation that Satan is the one doing this, but he's carrying it out through flesh and blood men. So we see this presentation in Revelation chapter 17, and we know that the book of Revelation is a very figurative book, but I believe it is teaching literal lessons through this figurative depiction. So here in Revelation chapter 17, we're introduced to the Babylonian harlot, which we hope to consider next time, which is a presentation of what we would call the world, the fallen world system apart from God, which persecutes God's people and persecutes the church. And this Babylonian whore is in league with this beast. This Babylonian whore shows up riding a great beast. Revelation chapter 17, and this great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And he saw this woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy and having seven heads and 10 horns. We find in verse 6 that the Babylonian harlot is drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with a great admiration. So the world and the worldwide kingdoms, both under the control of Satan, are in league together. Now we're going to find a little bit later that Satan's kingdom implodes. Jesus said when they accused him in his ministry of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils, he said, look, a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And what's, and what's just personally funny and gratifying to me is what we find at the end of time is we find Satan's kingdom imploding on itself. The beast turns on the Babylonian harlot. The wicked worldwide government turns on the world and Satan's kingdom implodes from within, which is really gratifying to see. But here, John sees this Babylonian whore with this great beast. You'll notice that the beast is covered in scarlet, which is the color of blood, because of her persecution and killing of the martyrs of the early church and the disciples of God throughout many ages. We're going to find that this beast is used to portray a long lineage of worldwide kingdoms that have persecuted God's faithful people. So this beast is actually explained to John by the angel. In verse 8, the beast which thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Was and is not and shall ascend. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 9, here is the mind which hath wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet 
but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. They have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and they are with him are called chosen and faithful. Verse 16, the 10 horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill all his will to agree to give their kingdom unto the beast unto the words of God shall be fulfilled. So we find here that this beast is a presentation of the worldwide kingdoms that have afflicted and persecuted God's people. We find that five are fallen, so that means there are five worldwide kingdoms that have come and gone. When the Apostle John is moved by the Spirit to write this, the Roman Empire was still in existence, so five are fallen, and one is. One is still relevant. One is still active in the late first century AD, and then one is more to come which will be the coming of the man of sin. We find that in Daniel chapter two, that there are worldwide kingdoms that are prophesied that would come in the future. And these are all presented here to Nebuchadnezzar as one image. So obviously these are different kingdoms. We're gonna find that this is the Babylonian empire followed by the Medo-Persian empire, followed by the Grecians led by Alexander the Great, and then finally the Roman empire. But you'll notice how in other places, particularly Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 correlates very closely to Revelation 13. We'll make our way to in just a minute. But in Daniel chapter 2, we have one image. In Daniel chapter 7, we have four separate beasts that show up. But in Daniel chapter 2, we have one image with different parts of the image. And that shows the unity of the beast, if you will. There are different kingdoms and different men that carry out the devices of Satan here in this world but yet they are unified in the sense of being unified against God's people. So we have one image and different portions of that image. But the reason why that after the fall of the Roman Empire, there has not been another worldwide kingdom until the Lord suffers that to occur, until he that letteth will let, that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the man of sin comes on to the scene, it's only because the Lord removes his providential hedge and allows that to happen. Why is it that there has not been another worldwide kingdom since the fall of the Roman Empire? It's not because there hasn't been men that wanted to do that, right? Napoleon wanted to do that. Hitler wanted to do that. All these wicked men wanted to take over the world and become a worldwide kingdom. But why were they not allowed to do it? Because in Daniel chapter 2, now there is a kingdom that has come that has taken precedence, and that is the kingdom of God that would come and destroy this image, destroy this beast, if you will, of worldwide kingdoms that are persecuting God's people, and it destroys the image, it destroys the beast for a period of time, and now this kingdom consumes all the earth. The kingdom of God consumes all nations. That was the commission of the apostles, to go to all nations. There's not going to be a worldwide kingdom that's going to control the whole world. Why? Because the kingdom of God is expanding throughout this whole world. That's why I told the apostles to go to all nations as they expanded the kingdom of God. Here we find in Daniel chapter 2 this image that is describing worldwide kingdoms that are going to persecute God's people. But again, that image would be destroyed by the coming of the kingdom of God. Then we make our way to the very next chapter in Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar apparently is so enamored with this image that he saw and him being the 
golden head of that image, what does he immediately do? He creates an image to himself, says you worship me as God, and if you don't do it, I'll kill anybody that doesn't do it. Well, that sounds a whole lot like the beast, doesn't it? That sounds a whole lot like Satan is moving Nebuchadnezzar to do that. So we see that beast of worldwide governments persecuting God's people and then trying to kill those who don't comply. We see that in the very next chapter in Daniel chapter 3. Now we don't really have time to dig into Daniel chapter 7 and the four separate beasts that have the same characteristics of the singular beast that are in Revelation chapter 13, but there are so many prophecies in the book of Daniel that are so important to understand this that we really don't have time to dig into. And just as a little side note, there is no way that you can understand the book of Revelation without studying and understanding the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Zechariah. So those three books, and there's plenty others in the Old Testament that give light on that too, but essentially Daniel, Ezekiel, and Zechariah are to a large degree a commentary of the book of Revelation. And we find that here with Daniel and the beast. Now, making our way back to the book of Revelation and now to Revelation chapter 13, we find the overall picture in Revelation chapter 17 of the beast. Now, as you study the book of Revelation, it presents the same story from a different vantage point, just like a movie director will tell the same story, but he'll tell it from a different perspective. And that's what happens in multiple different sections of the book of Revelation. You have the same story of redemptive history from the establishment of the kingdom of God all the way to the second coming of Christ, you have the same story being told from a different perspective. And therefore we find Revelation chapter 17 is at a later portion, but it's telling the same story just from a different perspective, okay? So we saw there in Revelation 17, a large picture view that there are five kingdoms that are fallen of this beast. There are five kingdoms that have come and gone, that have been defeated. One is, is the Roman Empire, and then there's another one that's going to come in the future. And you'll notice he says that there's a seventh but then he will actually be the eighth, which will come out of the seventh. You see references to those 10 kings. So there's gonna come a time for the second coming of the Lord that those 10 kings, which are 10 kingdoms, are going to give power to one man who is the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter two. So the reason why there is not a worldwide kingdom right now, which by the way, I believe Revelation chapter 20, Satan has been cast down, Satan has been bound, he's not been totally shut up, but he has been restricted in what sense? We find in Revelation chapter 20 and in verse 3, in what sense has Satan been bound? He's been bound that he should deceive the nations no more. So why is it, has there not been another worldwide kingdom since the kingdom of God? You see, not only has the kingdom of God taken precedence, but God has restricted Satan to where he now no longer has authority and ability to go to and fro and deceive the nations. But then there's going to come a time prior to the second coming of the Lord where it says in verse 7 of Revelation 20, when the thousand years are expired, when the church kingdom is nearing its end, then Satan will be loosed out of his kingdom. And what does he do immediately when he's loosed out of his kingdom? He shall go out to deceive the nations. So what happens when, as it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, what happens when he that letteth will let? 
God is preventing this worldwide kingdom. Why? Because Satan has been restricted, but then he lets him loose for a little season. He goes back out and he deceives the nations. And what happens when Satan deceives the nations again? That's when this seventh worldwide kingdom comes. That, to begin with, is made up of 10 kingdoms. But then what do those 10 kingdoms do? They give power to one man. They give power to who's introduced in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as the man of sin. And let's turn over there and read that because that's very important. Verse 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there cometh falling away first, and that the man of sin, that day being the second coming of the Lord, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God setteth himself in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 8. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. So there will come a time that there will be another worldwide kingdom, that's seventh, and then they will give power to one man who is the man of sin. And people are always concerned about the Antichrist and finding out who the Antichrist is and trying to do everything with number 666 and trying to find out who the Antichrist is. Listen, it's going to be very simple to know who the man of sin is. Why? Because there's going to be a man that's going to stand up and say, I am God, and I'm going to require everyone to worship me as God, and he's opposed, he exalts himself above all that is called God. So he's not even going to be friendly to Islam. He's not going to be friendly to all these false religions. No, he, he exalts himself above all that is called God. So it's going to be pretty easy to find out in this worldwide communication network that we have where we know that something happens on the other side of the world within a couple minutes. It's going to be very easy to identify when a man gets a consolidation of power from this worldwide kingdom. One man gets the consolidation of power and then he stands up and says, you worship me as God. That's going to be pretty easy to identify, right? So in Revelation 17, you have this overall picture of the worldwide kingdoms in time. But then I think as you are in a different section in, in a different perspective in Revelation and Revelation 13, now you have more of a zoomed in picture of what I believe to be describing the final kingdom of the man of sin. Not just this overall picture of the beast and worldwide kingdoms that persecute God's people and that are antagonistic toward the people of God. Not just this centuries long persecution, so to say, I think Revelation 13 zooms in to more specifics of what will happen during the reign of the man of sin after those 10 kingdoms give him consolidated power. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns were ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So you see the same animals being referenced in one beast that you saw in four separate beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And again, you can study that on your own. Now understand, where does this beast get his authority from? 
the dragon gave him his power. It's back to the devil, you see. There is a man at the end of time, the man of sin, that will be carrying these things out, but who's the controller behind the puppet of the man of sin? It's the devil, you see. And I saw one of his heads lie as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, says, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto them to make war with the saints. You see, now we're back to the beast, the scarlet colored, colored beast that's martyring the saints to get given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Again, a worldwide kingdom at the end of time. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we find the false prophet come onto the scene. So there's a man that's going to come that's going to say, I am God. You worship me as God. And then there's going to be a false prophet that comes that declares that he is that God and deceives many people. Now, first of all, we see here with this beast that the overall beast, there was a period of time that they were not, but then it was supposedly revived, which again, there was a time where there's no worldwide kingdom. And then when God suffers that to happen, they will rise back to power. But I think it's also very possible that in the middle of all this battle and warfare that is happening during this time, that he is physically injured during a battle and gives the appearance that he died. He didn't actually die, but it gives the appearance that he died and the appearance that he was resurrected. And that's going to be one of the things that amazes people that makes them think that he is a deity, that makes them think that he is God. And this beast is speaking blasphemies. He recruits the false prophet to affirm that he is God, that he is a deity. And then we have the presentation of the mark of the beast. And there has always been a requirement of submission of the beast, the five that were fallen and the Roman Empire, they've always required to worship false pagan gods or suffer martyrdom. That's what we saw right there with Nebuchadnezzar, right? You worship me or I'll kill you. You worship how I tell you to worship or I'll kill you. And that's what the Roman Empire did. And that's what he's going to do. So the mark of the beast is not necessarily a chip in your hand. Now, just things to keep aware of. This is an FYI thing. We're moving away from a cash society. We're moving into a totally digital age. And if someone ever gets control of that, if someone ever gets control of the internet or control of financial transactions, then they have total control over the economy and could possibly say you can't buy or sell because you can't swipe your card to buy anything. You can't buy or sell unless you affirm that I am God. And then God's people will say, no, we will not affirm that. And we will endure persecution for that. So we have this overall presentation of the beast that persecutes God's people. And then we have this final manifestation of the beast and the man of sin at the end of time. But understand, we have been so blessed in America with the Bill of Rights and our First Amendment right to freedom of religion, but that is not the normal disposition of governments toward the church. The normal disposition of governments is persecution and martyrdom and bloodshed. Okay, and Satan uses that. He's used these beast worldwide kingdoms in times past. He will use them in the future in the man of sin to wear out the saints 
to try to persecute and even try to martyr God's people. But don't be too concerned about the beast. God will give his people grace sufficient and strength with what they need, when they need it, when we're enduring that kind of persecution, whichever children of God are alive during that time. But understand the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, they are all being cast in the lake of fire. Okay, so just like how Satan is a defeated foe, every time the beast is mentioned, he is also mentioned that he's going to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. Okay, but be aware, be sober, be vigilant. Now, we have a right to obey governments. We need to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. There comes a time where we ought to obey God rather than men. But until that point comes, we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. But at the same time, be sober, be vigilant, keep your head on a swivel because Satan does use wicked kingdoms, wicked governments, wicked rulers to persecute God's people that's presented as the beast. We need to be aware of that, be willing to stand in the midst of persecution, and God will bless us with strength when we're called upon to do so. May God bless you this morning. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15 just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the